everyone. Welcome to the Revolution Podcast. We're the high school ministry at the church at Rocky Peak, and we'd love for you to join us in person on Saturday nights at 530. For more info about the ministry and upcoming events, find us on Instagram at HSRevolution. We hope you enjoy this time of teaching from God's Word. Nice to see all your smiling faces today. My name is Tim. I'm our high school pastor. I'm super stoked that you're here. I'm up here today. Normally, it's my turn to teach today, but today, actually, I'm going to be introducing someone who's coming in as a guest speaker uh, in just a second. We are starting a new series today. Uh, The series, let's go ahead and throw up that slide. It's called, it's already up there. Oh, all right. Uh, It's called Fulfilled. Right at the bottom says Jesus is greater than. Uh, the, the whole idea of this series is we're going to be looking at uh, people who are in the Old Testament who give us a, a picture uh, of, of what God's going to do in the future through Jesus and how Jesus, when he came, that, that he ended up like completely fulfilling, filling up what God had promised in the Old Testament. And we're going to see that through some of these different pictures of these people in the Old Testament. It'll be a great way for us to get to know Jesus uh, in a different way and to, to be able to answer the question in the back of our minds, why is Jesus such a big deal? That he's more than just a character in the Bible. He is the pinnacle, the top of everything that God is doing. And so I'm super excited for this series. And I am excited to introduce, once again in Revolution, my friend... And yours, Mr. Nathan York Jr. He's going to be coming up here. Uh, if you don't know Nathan, he was uh, on staff in Revolution for a long time. Uh, he led a bunch of different guys through and did a great job with that. Uh, he was a student in Revolution at one point. We've known each other going back that far, which is awesome. Um, I don't want to say when that was. I'll just let them imagine. Um, before... You could write on paper. No, I'm just kidding. Um, We are super excited for that. I'm going to let Nathan take it away. Take it away, Nathan. Thank you. Hello. (laughs) How's everybody doing? Thanks for having me back. (laughs) Uh, Let's pray. God, I just thank you for um, this ministry. God, I thank you for um, the thousands um, that you have spoken to and met through this ministry. Um, And I ask that that just continue. Lord, I ask that you um, be among us tonight, that you um, use me to speak to these high schoolers, um, and that you just say what you want to say and push me out of the way, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, so like Tim said, uh, we're jumping into a new series tonight called Fulfilled. Um, and really what we're looking at is, um, the life of Jesus, but we're looking at it in a way that you're probably not used to looking at the life of Jesus. Um, and so oftentimes I think that we read the Bible or approach the Bible as a collection of stories or history or, um, a collection of rules Um, and that's not wrong, but when we only look at it in that way, we tend to miss the whole point, and that all of Scripture points to the author behind it all. Everything from Genesis to Revelation points to Jesus Christ, Uh, and so that's 
what this series is going to be doing, is looking throughout the Old Testament and seeing how these stories that we're probably really familiar with are pointing to something greater. Um, and I think I'm probably going to date myself a little bit, but um, I think it proves the point well. Uh, when I was a kid, the only Star Wars movies that existed were episodes 4, 5, and 6. So, uh, in those movies, you start in episode 4, and you're kind of just dropped into the middle of the story. You guys all have seen Star Wars, right? Okay, good. I wanted to make sure I wasn't, like, super dating myself. Um, but you're dropped in. You don't really know much of what's going on. Um, all that you know is that Skywalker is the hero. Vader is the villain. So in episode five, when you find out that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's dad, it was like mind-blowing. It couldn't have been true. Um, but for probably all of you, actually definitely all of you, uh, episodes one, two, and three existed for your entire life. And so you probably saw those before you saw episodes four, five, and six. So you already knew that Anakin Skywalker became Darth Vader. So as soon as you heard Luke Skywalker introduced, you're like, oh, know who his dad is. And so the big reveal in episode five really isn't that big of a reveal because you already knew it. So I think in the same way, uh, we have that in scripture of that we are fortunate enough to live in a time where we can see and know the entirety of Scripture. We know how the story ends. And because we know how the story ends, we can look through the Old Testament and see these hints throughout that point to Jesus um, and that are ultimately fulfilled in him. And so we can look at these stories and see how Jesus steps into the narrative and redeems it or points to something greater. So it seems fitting that tonight we would begin in the beginning. So we're going to look at Adam and Eve. Specifically, we're going to be looking at how Adam and Eve respond when they're confronted by Satan, and then comparing that with how Jesus responds when he's confronted by Satan. So, we'll see a lot of similarities in these situations, but very different outcomes. So let's set it up. Um, in Genesis 1 and 2, we see God create Adam out of the dust, and he breathes life into him, and he places him in the garden to work it and keep it, and he calls it good, and he's pleased with his creation. And in Luke chapter 3, we see John the Baptist baptize Jesus. And when he comes out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And the Father declares that this is his Son, whom he is well pleased. And then the Spirit sends Jesus out into the desert to fast and pray. So in both of these, we have a birth of sorts. Whether it's a birth in the waters of baptism or a birth out of the dust. And then the Spirit calls them to action. He gives them a command. And that brings us to our text. So if you could, or one of them, I should say. But uh, if you could open to Genesis chapter 3, uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. 
or I never realize how much I use two hands until I have to hold a mic. Um, all right, everybody there? <laughs> it's on like page two. Um, so, uh, verse one says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they saw they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So, let's break it down. The serpent approaches Adam and Eve, and not with just a temptation to outright rebellion. He doesn't just come at them and say, you should eat this fruit because God hates you. Uh, he comes at them with a question, and it's, did God really say... And so he questions the commands and the character of God. And he begins to sow doubt. And this is the same lie that we still see from Satan today. It's the same tricks that he's done since the very beginning. Um, like how many of you have heard um, that people will say that what was wrong in the Bible was wrong for that time because it was written at that time. It doesn't apply now. We are more intelligent, and the Bible is outdated. It's the same, did God really say? Or if we make it more personal, how many of us have heard those lies from the devil of saying, did God really say that his love is sufficient after all the things that you have done? Does God really still love you? Or did God really say that his grace is enough? It's these little questions that he's just trying to sow doubt. So, at first, Eve's response seems like it's spot on. And she's just quoting the command of God back to the snake. But we see that it is actually that she starts adding to it. And that's where Satan sees his opportunity. They don't fully know the word of God, or they doubt it in some way, and he strikes at that opportunity. They say, or he says, you won't certainly die. God is just keeping the truth from you. And they bite. But as far as Adam goes, it's easy to read through this and kind of remove him from the narrative and say that it was all Eve. But it's probably the part that kills me the most about this verse is verse 6. And it says, She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Like, what? He was just standing there? Like, what was he doing? Like, 
I, I've tried to think through this of like there's this big debate going on between a talking snake and his wife, and he's just standing there, like probably like patting himself on the back for naming the platypus or something. Like I, it just doesn't make sense to me. I don't know why he's just standing there. And, and the worst part of it, and the sad truth that we have, is in First Timothy uh, chapter two fourteen. We know that from from Scripture we see that Adam was not deceived by Satan. Which brings us to our first fill-in of the night. It was that Adam was unprepared and passive. So Adam knew the character and the command of God. Adam knew that the serpent was speaking lies and deceiving his bride. But there was no action. There was no interjection. There was no defense. He simply stood there, passive, letting the serpent have his way with Eve. He did not defend the command of God or rebuke the serpent. He stood beside her as a passive bystander, and then he ate the fruit himself. And from that moment, sin entered the world, and it's been wreaking havoc ever since. So that's the first response, the response of Adam. Now we're going to flip to the Gospel of Luke. Um, Luke chapter 4, if you'd flip with me. All right, so uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So again, we see Satan with the same bag of tricks. He's trying to twist the character and the commands of God to sow doubt. But unlike Adam, Jesus would not be swayed because he was prepared and engaged, which is our second fill-in. Where Adam responded to Satan with silence, Jesus responded by correcting Satan's interpretation of the command. Satan was not going to sow any doubt in Christ. Jesus would have been starving after 40 days of not eating. I'm hungry if I, like, skip breakfast. So, like, going 40 days, 
Like, and the first temptation that Satan comes at him with is again one of food. And Adam and Eve fell on this first temptation. But Jesus withstands when he was way hungrier than they were. They were in a garden full of food that they could have whatever they want. And he was in the desert for 40 days. And he withstands. And it's because he has a higher priority on God's word and God's character than he does his physical needs. So Satan tempts Jesus three times, and each one is a powerful way. And if we had the time, I would love to break down each one of these and talk about what Satan's really getting at in each one. But we don't. Um, But Jesus would not be swayed even though Satan constantly tries to question his identity and authority as the Son of God, he even uses Scripture to try and push back against Jesus. But Jesus was prepared. And I want to note the very last verse here, um, where he says that Satan left him until an opportune time. Satan doesn't just quit. Uh, He keeps pushing. And while he could not sway Jesus, he does start swaying and twisting the religious leaders around him. And I think we all know how that ends. So, to recap both of these responses, both Adam and Jesus had a firm enough grasp on who God was and what God said to not be deceived by the lies of the enemy. But the big difference here is that one of them stood firm to the very end and crushed the serpent's head, while the other stood by and let the serpent have his way with his bride and his offspring. So these two responses bring us to two destinations. So first, let's look at Adam. So Adam's response led him out of the garden and into the desert. Adam and Eve had access to everything that they could ever want. They could walk the garden with God. God had given them commands and tasks to work and keep it, to rule. But there was one thing that God protected them from, and Satan used that and exploited that to sow doubt, and Adam and Eve lost everything. They were cast out of the garden, and the rest of humanity would bear that consequence, which Paul picks up on that in Romans. Um, So I'd like to flip quickly to Romans chapter 5, because Paul puts it way better than I ever could. So in Romans chapter 5, Verse 12, he says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. So Adam's response led them out of the garden and into the desert. And in the desert, 
there is hardship and pain. There is struggle and temptation. There is division and distrust. And there is sin and death. And when Adam chose to be passive and silent, he sentenced all of humanity to death through sin. Spiritually, we're all born in the desert, the same as Adam, and we need the loving hand of God to change our destination and to place us in the garden, which then brings us to Jesus. And so the response of Jesus led him out of the desert and into the garden. So in Luke chapter 4, after the temptation, it continues to go on, and this is the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And we see him going through the land, and word about him spreads, and by person by person, he is bringing and redeeming humanity. He is bringing Eden back. He's restoring what was lost. All throughout his earthly ministry, we see Jesus continually prepared and engaged. He's actively pushing back the darkness. He's casting out demons, healing the sick, caring for the downcast, raising the dead, calming the chaos, feeding the thousands. All to restore what was lost in Eden. Jesus is never passive. He never lets the serpent have his way with his bride. He always protects, always restores, always heals. It is by the life, death, and resurrection of Christ that we have life, and it is by his blood that we are redeemed. So, this leaves us with two questions. Um, First question is, how prepared are you? Now, I'm not recommending that each of us go out into the desert for 40 days to fast and pray. But I am suggesting, really stating, that we need to be prepared. Scripture tells us that Satan roams around like a roaring lion seeking to devour us. And we need to be prepared. We need to know his word to be ready for that. And to lean into it more and make it kind of a silly example, but imagine if you knew without a doubt at some point in your life you were going to be mauled by a lion. You didn't know when, didn't know where, but at some point like a big Mufasa lion was going to come and attack you. Like I would imagine, at least I would certainly hope, that for each of you, you would start researching lions like crazy. You'd try to find everything out about how they might attack, and you would be prepared. You would try to train and get stronger. You'd probably start carrying a weapon because you didn't know when it was going to happen, but you knew that it would. And I'm saying the same is true in the spiritual battle that we live in today. Satan wants to devour us, and we need to be prepared You're all in high school. It's the land of a thousand temptations, right? Every single day, you're faced with different temptations, whether it's small or big, whether it's just cheating on a test to get a better grade, lying to your friends to sound cool, 
lying to your parents to not get in trouble, doing drugs with friends to fit in, having sex, looking at porn, whatever it may be, Satan is on the prowl and wants to destroy us. So the question is, how prepared are you? Do you respond with passivity like Adam? Or are you engaged in battle alongside Christ, focused on his word, learning it and knowing it to be ready And my second question, which is what we're going to end the night on. Um, And so I'm a little early, but the band can come out. Um, Last question is, what is your destination? There's a quote here from um, a pastor uh, named Dane Ortland. And he says, the alternative to being in Christ is to be in Adam. One or the other, no third option. Every human being alive today is either in Adam or in Christ. And that is the fundamental defining reality about each of us. If you are in Christ, you have been swept up into Eden 2.0, the new creation that silently erupted when Christ walked out of the tomb. Eve was deceived by the serpent when Adam stood by watching, fully aware of God's command and the deception of the serpent. But praise be to God that we do not have a passive leader in Christ. He did not just stand idly by and let Satan destroy us. He rose from his throne and he stepped down into his creation And he allowed us to unjustly crucify him, but death did not hold him back. He rose and brought us life. Death could not hold back our Savior. The tomb is empty, and the ancient serpent has been crushed. And we can now walk freely and fully in the love and victory of our God and King because of Jesus Christ, our hope in life and death. So what's your destination? Are you unsure? wandering in the desert, looking for direction, look to Christ. Are you unprepared, passively just waiting for life to happen? Engage with the word of God. Wisdom and mercy are found in the words of the king. Are you deceived by the serpent or feeling attacked by the lion? Look to the lamb of God who has crushed the serpent's head and longs to heal your wounds. Let us daily and continually look to Christ.